Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever or wherever you tune into today's podcast from. And today's podcast is a podcast that we've been trying to set up for months now. And owing to my own complete inconsistency with available dates and uh, and falling ill just before Christmas when we should have had one set up, this podcast has been months in the making. Um, but I'm delighted to say that today we're pressing ahead with it finally. And it's on the subject of digital marketing loosely. Um, my guest today works in that particular field and we're going to be talking about a few different things today including data blindness we were talking about off air and um, and how the amount of data that is available now to organizers can really really help with their event marketing but only if the right people are using it in the right way. So my guest today is from Tag Digital, who are a company and a brand and a name that many of our podcast followers uh, will be aware of. And anybody connected with Event Tech Live will have seen them over the years at that show and involved in it. It is uh, Head of Growth, Nicola Shaw. Nicola, thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you for having me, James. It's exciting finally to be doing this. With your very professional microphone set up. I know. There. I look like a pro. From the Tag Digital <laughs> base. Um, yeah, uh, it was a bit of a loose introduction today because the, the, what, the, the work that you guys do is specific, but it's not specific, if yeah. that makes sense. That, that's how I always deem it. But <laughs> it is very much geared around digital marketing. It's about very, very sophisticated digital marketing. And with the amount yeah. of data that organizers have available to them now, that's something yeah. that you guys can get really sophisticated with. Um, before we sort of delve into it, why don't we just give people a little bit of a, a potted history about Tag Digital and give them a, an idea contextually of what it is that you do for people? Yeah. Yeah. So at Tag Digital, we are a PPC agency that uh, works exclusively with event organizers. So we help event organizers grow their event through different elements of digital marketing, through all the different objectives they have. So whether that's um, getting more registrations, getting exhibitor leads in, getting sponsorship leads in, we help get the, these actions through digital marketing channels. So that's us running ads across for the likes of Google, social um, platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, everything that covers under those branches. Um, yeah, so we run ads that help uh, with these objectives. So yeah, we work with a variety of event organizers across huge scopes such as large B2B events, um, small B2C um, across the world. Our main markets are usually the, the Middle East, Europe, UK and um, America. So yeah, helping lots of event organizers there. And, and of course, for, for some people, they think, well, you know, digital marketing, okay, fairly straightforward. I've got my social media platforms. I just need to make sure I'm posting yep. something on there once or twice a week and keep plenty of stuff filtering out there. But the, the, the reality of what is available now to people, if you really, really understand it, is much more sophisticated than that, isn't it? And that's when you talk about things like Google advertising, um, you know, cookies, people are used to hitting the accept all button yeah. on every yeah. website that they visit now and not really understanding fully what it is. But all of this plays an integral role in the sort of work that you do and what's available now for organisers, doesn't it? Yeah, I would say one thing, it's very easy to waste money. Like you could start you could start spending on digital marketing campaigns very easily, putting money behind it, but suddenly if that campaign is not set up in the right way, you're going to reach the wrong audience very quickly. And the likes of a Google campaign can spend hundreds of pounds in an hour. So you, you need to be careful in the way it's set up. So yeah, it's really important that when you're setting it up, you've got a proper strategy behind it you know exactly how to target your audience and there's also so many complex 
ways across the platforms of now how they're using AI to find people. It's not as simple as keyword research anymore. Someone typing a keyword and you're pushing an ad to them. Google's getting very smart in the way that it's being able to find people. I think everyone will be a bit scared in how much data is still on them of how much data we have for all the users, but it's taken in a way for us to be able to very smartly and usefully target people with the right messages that they want to see. Um, but yeah, it's really important that it's done properly because like I said, it can get out of hand very quickly if you don't have a proper strategy in place and actual proper targeting in place. And, and I guess maybe that that puts people in maybe not two categories, but 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 two opportunities. Um, the first is, as you said, people who could think, oh, we'll do it ourselves. We, we, we have a vague understanding of it. And you can waste money very, very quickly um, by not having that sophisticated understanding that, that you guys will have. And also this this subject of data blindness that I mentioned at, at the start of the show, um, that there is because of the way that we run events, any type of event now, at the very, very least, the most basic organizer running the most basic of one day conference will have a spreadsheet. So they have data yeah. available to them. They will have email addresses. At the other end, we've got registration systems, virtual event platforms, um, interactive Q&A platforms where people may have to log an email address to register for the event. So this data blindness issue is something we've spoken about before. There's so much available that I would guess you work with a lot of clients who have so much, they just don't know what to do with it. Yeah, and it's actually crazy how much data event organizers specifically have and also they're not probably aware of it. A lot of people see data as just like that list of emails that you have. So if you're looking at like your CRM systems, you're seeing how many contacts you have. That's one source of data, but you also have so many other touch points. For example, at the moment you still have amount the volume of users that are in your cookies list so that's people that have accepted the cookies on your website that's data there you also have people that have interacted with your social media pages like your followers also if you're running campaigns you've got people that have interacted with your ads or watched your videos if you've got a youtube channel it's the people that have viewed your videos all of this is data that can be utilized it doesn't just need to be first party even though i will fully shout that first party data is the most important data you have so that those mm -hmm. emails lists you have are so valuable obviously everyone's now saying that data is more valuable than oil so you need to be <laughs> utilizing these data lists that you have but there's also lots of other touch points that event organizers are sitting on and they're not using, they might be using it in their campaigns. There's one element to use it is using those data lists when you run digital marketing campaigns, uploading them to the platform to make sure you're targeting these users. But the biggest gap that event organizers have is that they're not making money off the back of this data list. Like, like I said, how valuable data is. And we have a service that goes down the route of actually making money off of your data that you have here and like I'll go into a bit more detail from our side we call it audience extension and that means as event organizers have so much data sitting on their plate that data is so valuable to the main people who's your target market which is your exhibitors so your exhibitors decide to turn up to your event or decide to exhibit to your event because they want to get in front of the audience that you present at the event. So the visitors that you're able to attract, you're allowing these exhibitors to be in front of this audience about three days if that's how long your event runs for and they're paying a high value amount to do that. And what we're saying is, Imagine giving your exhibitors the opportunity to then continue to market to this audience at a premium rate 
by being able to target the data that you own. So you have all this visitor data. If you are to upsell that to your exhibitors, um, they will want to be able to target that audience because that's brand awareness for them. That's their exact target market. That's data that's going to cost them a lot more to be able to target themselves through their own marketing. So being able to upsell this to you, to your customers is a huge way to be able to generate revenue out with just your three days of the events and you can continue to sell this product to them throughout the entire year and, and that understanding of 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 data i suppose is is where as an industry people have slowly but surely had to shift their understanding and how they sell things fundamentally yeah. because historically sales people who are selling an exhibition would sell the exhibition they would say do you want to come and exhibit at our show it's two days it's three days this is the audience that we'll bring there on those days and that particular strand of the events industry is still very much geared up around selling the yeah. event selling the three rather than selling the brand the show as a yeah. brand do you want to buy into our brand here is the exposure we can give you through that brand and mm -hmm. and i think that shift is happening but it's it's probably yeah. slower than people realize they could be going because of the opportunities that are available. Yeah, and I think that's the hardest part that we've seen around it is really the sales teams that are selling exhibitor stands are still quite traditional. Obviously, their main targets are normally around exhibitor sales, like with the stands. Um, so it's shifting them into a digital mindset and educating them in a digital product is something that's been a challenge. But once it's understood, it like just takes off so quickly. One of the main things is that people are seeing is the easiest way is actually to incorporate like some form of like digital sales package within an exhibitor stand sale. So, for example, if you're like, you can get an exhibitor stand for X amount of value. And then if you want this add on package, it's like an additional like £2,000 if you want to then market to the audience for another 30 days after the event. And it can be easy as that being like, we'll give you a stand for three days at the event and then for the next 30 days you can then target the audience with whatever message you want to push out to them and that's you just upselling it because it's so much cheaper for you and you're just made like easy money off the back of it and and that extends further doesn't it into these are always on marketing campaigns and, uh, and strategies that are now being implemented because I, I guess there's a number of reasons for that i'm sure you can you can tell us some of them but one of the most obvious ones to me is is just the sheer amount of media that people have access to nowadays that yeah. you know you can't just have that sort of 16 week build up to an event anymore yeah and that also kind of ties into the importance of data like the reason that we pretty much tell all of event organizers that they should have campaigns running throughout the year and not just like you said those 16 weeks is to make sure that you're constantly gathering data because we are at a going down a route where everything is getting more private and there's lots of rules and regulations that are coming into place google will eventually whenever they make up their mind will be getting rid of cookies which will limit the amount of data that we do have access to so it's more important than ever, not only that you're pushing your brand throughout the entire year, but that you're gathering data and fresh data because your data can get out of date very quickly. So you may have an email list, but if you don't update that within like the 12 months between event dates, then it can quite easily become out of date. So having a campaign that, that's running and that's it gathering data through different elements of like lead generation and um, that is the most important reason why we say your campaign should always be live 
just just expand a little bit if if you could or, or, and if you don't mind on, on what you just mentioned there about google getting rid of cookies because you know i have a vague understanding of what they are yeah. like many people a vague understanding the thing pops up on a website you accept it we know that it's a tracker of some description everybody's looked for a holiday got on facebook yeah. and seen that holiday pop up on the right hand somewhere side. else yeah. somewhere else so you know we, we've all been there but when you just popped it you know through that hand grenade in there that Google maybe get rid of it. What, what does that actually mean? How much control do they have over cookies? Well, that is, it's, cookies are Google. So a whole control. So it's their product that they've put on. Um, so yeah, it's one of these things that's a very hot topic, but it's also a topic that doesn't have a lot of clear answers yet because of what's ongoing. But yeah, so when you accept the cookies, obviously that's you giving the permission for that website to then track and be able to promote ads to you across websites. So that's why if you're like banks or looking at something to buy and then you go onto a different website, it's then following you around. It's because you've accepted the cookies to be able to do that. And nine times out of 10, like you have to accept the cookies to get onto a website and things like that. So they've manipulated users very well to do that. But because of all the new privacy laws that have come in, obviously, if anyone's aware of the the iOS 14 update made a lot of regulations in terms of you have to accept tracking. Meta's also brought out a lot of regulations around tracking as well that you have to accept it first before you're able to do it. So Google for a few years now have been saying that cookies will become obsolete. Now they pushed this they pushed this date back many times. So it was supposed to be, I think, last year, then this year, and then it's still still pushing it back because they're trying to find another method that is effective but not as intrusive as being able to track a user exactly where they are around the internet and not gather all the data that they're going to. So the reason I think that they're delaying it is because they're still doing a lot of testing. They're doing a lot of betas that are coming out for people to find alternative ways to be able to track um but it is something that is going to happen which is why we continuously say your first party data is the most valuable thing that you have because when they do turn off cookies it will definitely affect campaigns in terms of a remarketing point of view so if someone's landed on your website will you be able to be remarket as effectively to them um that's something that's still unclear but it's it's something that's still a future issue but it is coming I tell you what was the um, jaw on the floor moment for me with, with what you just said there is that cookies are Google. I just yeah. thought they were, they, they, you know, a, a, you know, a, a generic thing, you know, for for website traffic. So cookies are Google. So does that mean that if I'm using Bing as my search engine or, or, or my, you know, that 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 wouldn't there are no cookies on there. Yeah, more and more limited. So yeah, Bing is definitely more, which is why people are also using to. Um, like Safari as well is safer because it won't track you as well. There's also, that's why there's so many competing search engines that come out with no tracking on them. So I can't, was, there's like other ones that come out, but yeah, it's not the same tracking that's across both of them. So yeah, it's, it's Chrome that's getting you if you're on that with the, with the cookies. Well, 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 I guess as well, it, I suppose it just goes to show how much of a, maybe not, maybe monopoly is not the right word, but how much of a hold Google have got on us oh, yeah. in terms Huge. of, in terms of our browsing data and our web traffic and, and how that links. And no doubt behind the scenes, the major organizations are working to, to, together on this to, for their own benefit. But it, yeah. it just goes to show how, I suppose, in, in, unless we are working specifically in that sector like you guys are working, why it would be so difficult for people who are doing 10 different jobs in an event setting to understand yeah. the detail that they need to now. 
Yeah, and that's for sure. Like, I do not envy marketing managers within events companies at all because they wear so many hats. They're all spread so thin in terms of what they have to do. And sometimes I think it's not realized how much focus needs to go into your digital marketing campaigns. Like they need to optimize like weekly. You need to pay attention when things need changed. Um, like I said, spend can get quite out of control if you don't keep an eye on it. Um, so that's why having at least an agency, like we name ourselves as like being just like um, part of a mark and your internal marketing team that's just focusing on the digital so we like to like integrate ourselves into the teams that we're working with to make sure because we know that our marketing managers that we're working with within event companies know the event the best they know the brand they know their customers whereas from our side we know digital marketing the best we know the strategy and how to reach them so having an integrated approach with an agency or a freelancer or anything is the most important thing you can do because my experience within the events industry the worst thing you can do is find an agency that take your digital marketing and then you don't hear from them for like the 16 weeks and then they then turn up with the results at the end and go this is the outcome because the events industry is so different. Everything's changing constantly. You've got new speakers, you've got exhibitors being released. You've just got updates that need to be changed. Sometimes like there's a logo somewhere that isn't supposed to be yeah. somewhere and everyone panics. So leaning, leaning on an open door here because, you know, <laughs> I, I, I am that person at the other end, you know, behind the email, behind the emails yeah. going out to conference speakers and, and, and for agendas, you know, who exactly. oh, right, there's been a change to the speaker on that panel three yeah. times a day you know exactly. so you, you're constantly refining stuff oh that person's job titles changed or oh, they, they they're still coming but they've moved companies so now they're yeah. all of their branding and, and bio has to change you know and things as an organizer on that front are totally changing and that's just with your speaker marketing that's just yeah. a conference scenario where you've got information constantly being pushed out on channels to promote certain speakers and certain panels or certain sessions that are taking place. So yeah. when you take that contextually as a, and as an entire event and what you wanted to push, people will, uh, I think, uh, empathize with the day-to-day -day changes. Um, yeah. I suppose what, what that leads me is, is, is to a talking point about content, um, something I scribbled down before we started recording today. Because of the understanding, because of the enhanced understanding that you guys have, you can probably work, a, a quicker pace than an internal marketing team and because of that do you are you faced with issues where clients that you're working for just can't physically get the content to you quick enough that yeah. you need to push out onto campaigns yeah i would honestly say that's probably the thing that delays us the most is not getting the content in time because because we have a we work with event organizers, so we know the strategy and we know the setup that works. We know the build that works. We do a lot of time to build like the target audiences for each individual. But the one thing that normally limits going live or new campaigns going live um, is the content behind it. Because obviously we require assets such as like banners, videos being sent over. If you want like um, documents to be linked, if we're doing like lead gen and you're like got like white papers or postal reports or something, it's like waiting for that documentation is normally the biggest thing that holds up. And yeah, the events industry is obviously so fast paced, but so is digital marketing. So the last thing you want to do is have to pause anything, have to like delay anything going live, having to 
turn a 16 week into an eight week campaign or even worse, a eight week campaign into a four week campaign because of your holding up in assets is like the worst thing you can do from a digital standpoint. So we also make sure that when we're speaking to our clients, we have a full plan in place of like, this is when things need to go live. So this is the deadline for assets. And it's normally about three weeks beforehand to make sure that we have them available. But it's also something that we've realized is an issue within the events industry. So we have started to create our own creative team. So we now have um, designers in-house at TAG and video, like people to help with like video editing and things like that to help our clients because we know they're all stretched so thin. Design teams are stretched so thin as well because they've got so many events. So we now help aid with some of like creating banners, creating videos that can be utilized for digital to help speed up that process as well. And of course, because done correctly, that will have a positive impact on the campaign, isn't it? And yeah. I, I talk, you know, even the basic stuff like making sure that the, the pixel sizes are all correct yeah. and accurate for the particular platform or where it's being pushed to. If it's incorrect, exactly. I, I, hopefully I'm right in saying that that can have a negative impact on the campaign if something is not optimised for that particular channel. Yeah, and Google will just like disapprove it. So if something's not right or even if an image is too blurry or it's not like the right high resolution, it will just be disapproved. Um, so which means your campaigns won't go live. So yeah, there's lots of kind of rules and regulations in place for like dimensions and exactly what you've said, which can limit and slow down the process as well. So it's important that we continue to smooth that process out and that's why we've developed a creative service just to help kind of take the load another thing away from the marketing managers that are again all doing so much mm. uh, have you got anything that you use there that, that actually integrates in with the platforms that organizers are using by and i'm talking basic things like registration like speaker management platforms are you able to actually you know plug your own systems effectively into their systems so that some of that data, you know, speaker profiles, profile pictures, biog, stuff like that, you can just get out without relying on the organiser sending them to you. No, but that would honestly be the dream if we did have something that was easy. <laughs> I think it's like normally it's, yeah, we don't normally get like the access to like that kind of back end or anything that like plugs it in with ease. Like, unfortunately, it's not that integrated between the two systems yet. So we are quite reliant on it being sent over by the marketing managers for when we need to push things live, which is normally why we'll try to have a schedule in place. But yeah. I mean, that would be an ideal scenario if we had that access, but we don't tend to. It's not going to be the silver bullet because, you know, it will, would still, you know, only give you access to basic data and, and you know, things like logos, more specific branding, yeah. you know, exactly. video content particularly. Would all, would it, it's all still got to be sent sent in somewhere, hasn't it? It's either yeah. got to be uploaded to a portal or emailed in. I'm not sure how you guys, how you guys yeah. work it. Yeah, so it still needs sent over to us. Like we have like um, like communication threads that we use between the technical team, and it needs sent in, and then we need to upload it to the platform either way because it needs to be like attached to ads, and it needs to the copy needs to match. And I think that's one of the also things that delays that maybe people don't realise is we can sit and wait for like weeks for images or banners to be sent over, and I think people don't understand the delay process because we need those images to match like the copy that we're pushing out so until we have those images we can't write copy because there's no point writing copy to an image that makes no relation to each other so <laughs> it's just just a picture it's just a random exactly. image. shout out to the three loudest sneezes in the world as well <laughs> whoever, that, whoever that was in the office 
What an, what an amazing hat trick of sneezes there for anybody who caught that one in the background. That's the downside. That's the downside of having a really good microphone. You see, there you go. Up, picks up everything. It, it, it up everything. Yeah, the the, the, the content as I said. I, I don't do your job, so I can only sort of presume to know a little bit and, and and maybe guess about some of the the sort of pain points that you've got. But the content one instantly struck me that no matter how, no matter how sophisticated the understanding of the the platforms the channels the back end of things how google works the analytical data is that yeah. without that content you you've you've got nothing you know and no. and that that to me particularly for the always on campaigns you know i i i work with a lot of different companies and businesses and clients and i've i've worked for myself over 13 years now so as a freelance you know I, i've seen companies firsthand who just think well what can we put out there we've not put anything up in a few days on our channels you know what 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 do we do um yeah how, how much of that sort of creative consultancy do you offer now have you tried to avoid it and just stick to the core of what tag digital do or are you also helping clients actually come up with some of that content and generate ideas we normally share from a perspective of what works in terms of, especially if the objective is like lead building or like, yeah, just they're trying to get like emails in exchange for like actual pieces of content in terms of like a creative point of view. So like the videos and the, and the, the images that are pushing out, we will always like guide um, event organizers on what's actually working. So sometimes they can send stuff over and we'll be like, it's not best practice. It's not going to work for this type of channel. Um, we have like a massive deck um, that goes into like creative best practices for each channel. And it has like lots of examples that we've built ourselves from our own creative team in terms of like exactly what your video should be like, exactly what your banner should look like. And yeah, from an always on perspective, we normally give suggestions on what the content can be like. Um, nine times out of 10, it's just, it depends industry to industry. Like what would keep your industry engaged like throughout the year? It can just be like industry reports. It can even just be like blogs, webinars that you're doing any form of like white paper report it doesn't need to be anything fancy it could just be like a short like three minute blog um but it's making sure that you're continuously actually engaging with this audience because one thing with always on that i say is you've just spent a whole amount of money for 16 weeks targeting an audience they then turn up to your event which is amazing and is the objective but then after the event's done everyone just kind of like disappears for a while and like obviously lies down in a dark room after the event <laughs> experience yeah. and then yeah. doesn't want to think about it but really that's like the prime time to then turn the campaigns back on remarket these people with really interesting industry insight and then continue to market to your audience throughout the year so when it comes to that 16 weeks it will then be so much cheaper to market this audience because they're already engaged which means you just have to remarket to them being like register now for the event and they'll do it a lot quicker than they will if you haven't spoken to them for the last like eight months well well that that, that brings me to my sort of ne next talking point or, or grenade to throw into the conversation which is about um timings you know and and i i think back to sort of the classic advertising of, of the 80s when i was a kid growing up and when you were watching children's tv between 3 30 and 5 30 when you got in from school yeah. it the advert breaks would only be toys and kids yeah. related stuff they would bombard you with it there'd be there wouldn't be a Nothing wallace else. arnold coach tour advert between 3 30 and 5 30 because it was peak kids viewing time and i'm just wondering now how much of the the work that you do is based around historical data so knowing when your client historically 
time-wise had success. So, you know, historically nine weeks out on the Tuesday before the data says this, or is there a certain amount of just sort of basic human understanding that you still use to say, look, we're better off pushing a campaign out at that time. What, what's the balance between sort of a natural understanding and, the, and actually using the historic data? Yeah, the historic data is very important, especially to analyse the event. So one of the main things that we normally look at is the event itself. How many years has it been running for? How much brand exposure does it have? What's its like what's your normal like traffic, like daily traffic without paid, how much audience is organically coming to there? Because that makes a huge difference, mainly from the perspective if you have low brand awareness, for example, you've only ran for a year launch event, or you just are in a very competitive market. Mm-hmm. It's very important that the campaign is in longer because it's going to take a long time for that audience to integrate within to like Obviously, we are always talking about the marketing funnel, but obviously that people at the top of the marketing funnel are people who have no idea who you are, haven't heard about your brand before, are in your target market, but you need to integrate them in. You mm. need to spend a lot more time to do that. So that's normally where we're thinking about a 16-week campaign because there's a lot of time that you need to bring that audience into your marketing funnel to then continuously remarket to them over a 16-week period. And yes, I would say, especially after the whole, you know, don't want to say it, but COVID incident, um, consumer behavior has gone even more delayed. So sometimes event organizers are like, but you only see that trend increase of actual registrations within the final three weeks. And I go, yes, but that's where we go really heavy with our budgets and our remarketing budgets because we build all these people into the audience. So it is common that you'll see the first like eight weeks of your campaign will be slower, but that's because it's brand new audience, that's new data building, that's stuff that's way more valuable. So you should see your cost per acquisitions higher during this time. And then the final three weeks is where you're really much going to see the registrations come in. And that's where all your efforts for the last uh, 10 weeks have really paid off because everyone's now deciding to register. I mean, all these people know that they're coming to your event, but they just don't take the action until like the final two weeks, which is very frustrating from an event organizer point of view. But unfortunately, we can't change consumer behavior as much as we we want to. That, that, that little phrase there, cost per acquisition strikes me, has been very, very key in that, you know, somebody could spend a little bit of their budget, but get, I don't know, 500 people registering um yeah. and and think oh we didn't get much at that point because you know we have fifteen thousand people register our event but yeah. i guess it's not necessarily about how much you spent and when you spent it but like you said that that cost per acquisition ultimately is yeah. what's going to show you when when good or bad times of the year could be to, to market yourselves exactly and that's why i personally love digital marketing is in terms of the channel the most out of like all different marketing streams because it's the one channel you can see i spent this amount of money and this is exactly how much it cost me to get one user like one registration and that's you can see very quickly if your campaigns are working or if they're not working um and that's everything that we drive all of our campaigns are focused around the cost per acquisition because we've got so much data to benchmark within the events industry we actually benchmark up front what we think we'll be able to achieve from a cost per acquisition and how many registrations we think you'll be able to achieve with your budget that's in place there's not many other agencies that one have the confidence to do that or have the data to be able to do that so that's something that pulls us kind of out in terms of like a competitive point of view but we do that because we know like we have so much data points to be able to 
accurately identified this is what it's going to cost you to get one registration for your event and that's it's important to understand that it's that's through a timeline so yeah like you were saying at this like about six months out your cost per acquisition is going to be much higher because the intent's lower people think they've got time um so they're not going to do it but your cost per acquisition is higher because normally the people that are registering should be the, that brand new audience. So people that have never heard of you before because they aren't as delayed, they'll do it because you're new to them. So they'll take the action. Whereas your cost per acquisition, the final two to three weeks will be significantly lower, mainly because this will be remarketing to people who probably have come to your event before or we've continuously marketed to them for the last like 10 weeks. So they're now like, okay, I'll take the action and now they're coming in. So that CPA will start high, but will come down dramatically as you get closer and closer to the event. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of cast back to a time uh, in 2000, between about 2005 and 2009, when I worked for a publishing company that the trade, that they worked in the trade press. So they did magazines for, for different industries. Yeah. And any of the trade shows that worked in around those industries, you know, would advertise in those magazines in the sort of the three or four issues running up to their particular event. And it was still always a hassle every year to get them on board, either with some sort of, you know, contra deal or, or some sort, you know, whatever the deal was for them to advertise their event in the magazine, it was always a bind to get that over the line. And yeah. when I look at what's available to them now, I think, what what were they even arguing about or discussing? I know. They were literally, you know, 15, 16 years ago, the only option for people was trade yeah. press, a bit of email marketing, even, th but yep. not everybody in every industry had access to email, even, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and postal, old school. Yeah. Well, we've, we've got all these addresses. Let's post them all a flyer for the event. When they look, it's a, it's a luxurious position, if we're being honest now, isn't it? If, yeah. if people actually want to just think back a little bit and take a moment, they are in a luxurious position if they do it right. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there's still some event organisers that are doing postal uh, direct mail, which I will never understand. Um, but in, yeah. In a market that's driven at the moment by sustainability as well. Exactly. Exactly. And are still sending out 10,000 flyers to try and, and have no idea if it actually works. That's the one thing that I guess you can put like promo codes and stuff on them. But like nine times out of 10, like you have no idea if it's actually working, which is, yeah. I mean, marketing channels that are available at the moment are so, there's so many. And it's also, it just continuously is growing. Like there's other things that we can now get involved in. Obviously connected TV is a big one that's starting to come back. So obviously TV advertising is very old school now, but it's now coming to the point where it's being taken over from a digital perspective. So it means you don't have to just rely, like you were talking about putting your TV ad at a specific time during the day. You can now do connected TV ads, which means you can actually put an audience behind them. So it means it's you can actually put your ad onto people that are actually interested in what you're doing and not just like pushing it out there and seeing if it sticks. So that like large digital billboards, audio ads, everything's getting smarter and everything you can put audiences behind now. So it's really interesting the route that it's going down and there's just so many channels. So I'm not surprised if some people are overwhelmed at the moment. That's a whole other topic, isn't it now? Because you know, oh, anybody, this is a podcast and anybody who listens to podcasts knows that at the top end of the podcasting game now, you've got businesses who are doing, you know, the, the bigger podcast with millions of followers where it's all about targeted advertising. Who are our audience? What's the subject matter of the podcast? And, and you know, 
which advertisers does that make it an attractive proposition to? Exactly. You know, ra radio now is consumed mostly via smart devices and smart speakers. They've all got an IP address. They know where you're yep. listening from. So you can have regionalized advertising now that you couldn't have even five, six years ago because the explosion in hardware and, and, and connected devices. So there's yeah. all these other channels that we could get into. How I'm going to wrap it up is to quite simply to say that on the subject of postal marketing, uh, <laughs> I still get once a year, I'm not going to say the name of the event, an event that I registered for, I think it was 11 years ago now, 12 years ago. And they still and do send... Still, do you still go? I, Have you I been? Still, no. No, I, if the, you know, if you're doing this and you're an organizer out there, I can tell you that that flyer every year it comes through my letterbox goes the same way as the dodgy Chinese takeaway a mile down the road, and <laughs> and the ad and the flyer that comes through every now and then for carpet cleaning, they just get just goes straight in the recycling. Yeah, I'm never going to go to their event because of that flyer that comes through the door. Honestly, it's it's a huge waste of money and so unsustainable for the route that the events industry is supposed to be going down. So, yeah, any event organizer that still does direct mail, I'm honestly like, why? How do you know <laughs> if that is working or not? And I'm just yeah. like, can we take that budget and put it onto digital, please? Because I'll be able to get you probably 30% more registrations than you're currently experiencing. Let's get with the program, people. You know, most people's grandparents have got an iPad now. You know, exactly. They've got a smart TV at the very least that's connected. So, you know, come on. Come on, drag yourselves into the 21st century. Um, we've been talking on the podcast today to Nicola Shaw from Tag Digital. She is Tag Digital's head of growth about, well, all sorts of various stuff, always on campaigns, data blindness, and how they can uh, really bring, a, a, I suppose, a level of sophistication uh, to the marketing uh, process now for event organisers, given the amount of data that they have available to them. Nicola, before we let you go and, and head back to that uh, deep world of, of analytics and data and, and advertising and marketing, um, if people want to find out about what Tag Digital are up to, uh, what are your own channels, where can they find you, how can they get in touch? Yeah, I mean, you can find us anywhere because we are digital marketing people anyway. But yeah, tagdigital.co.uk for all of our services information. You can get us on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter. Come see what all of our office parties look like on TikTok. Um, and yeah, you can contact me directly at nicola at tagdigital.co.uk. Really, if anyone needs any support with any form of marketing, if you're an event organizer, please reach out because we know it's a bit of a struggle out there and everyone needs support, especially from a digital marketing point of view. So we're more than happy to help. Get a professional in. That's that's, that's always exactly get somebody that knows what they're doing because you what was it you'll spend twice as much doing half the job. Yeah. <laughs> Um, exactly. Thanks a lot, Nicola, for joining us today. And our final little plug is, uh, as always, at the end of the episode for uh, Event Industry News itself. Um, if you're listening to today's podcast on your podcast platform, don't forget to head over to eventindustrynews.com. Um, you're going to have to accept cookies, I think, uh, is the reality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but head over to eventindustrynews.com. Uh, you've got all the latest news features, special supplements. Of course, the Event Industry News A to Z supplier directory. If you're looking for a supplier, a service, a piece of equipment, anything like that, depending on what type of event you're organizing chances are you can find it on the a to z supplier directory as well as video versions of all of our podcasts of course if you're already there uh, watching today's video thanks very much as always for tuning in and don't forget to go in the opposite direction and make sure that you subscribe 
from wherever you get your podcasts from to the audio versions of the Event Industry News podcast, which brings us to the end of today's episode. Thanks again to Nicola over at Tag Digital. Uh, nice to speak to you today. We'll see you on another episode hopefully soon, and it won't take six months or so to try and sort out the next one. Um, but we'll wrap up for now, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Thanks. <laughs>